tym odcinku piątego. So we focus on everything, right? Because the good supply chain management, okay, has to focus on everything. It's, it's like a Swiss clock. Imagine 200,000 shipments every month. That's the massive amount. So you cannot really focus on a one or two. That's why the automation is very important. It's a high entry barrier, but it's also very noble goal. Cześć. Nazywam się Marcin Kowalski i zapraszam Was na mój wideo podcast Piątech, w ramach którego rozmawiam z moimi gośćmi o biznesie, technologii i o tym, jak biznes i technologia wpływają na siebie nawzajem. Zapraszam do słuchania. Hi everyone, this is Marcin Kowalski. I am the CTO of GFT Poland and uh, today I'm talking with Tomas Zakrzewski. Hi Tomas. Thank you for having me, Martin. Hi. Um, today's uh, episode is somehow unusual because we are going to have it in English uh, because Thomas is not willing to speak to us in Polish, even though he's very fluent in Polish. Um, welcome again. Thank you. Um, Thomas, so how, uh, like what your link with Poland is or um, like very briefly your personal history, um, how old were you when you left Poland and where you ended up in the world? Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, so I'm very proud of uh, my heritage in Polish. Um, so I was born in Poland, obviously. All right. Uh, I went to a variety of different schools and I ended up in a University of Physical Education in Warsaw. So I study, um, you know, physical education. <laughs> um, and then I left uh, to United States, it was like 86 or 88, something like mm -hmm. uh, Yeah, some, something around that time. Um, And I only left for vacation, so I'm supposed to come back. Mm -hmm. um, that never happened. I overstayed. Right. Uh, first time I came back was 96, uh, and the rest of history. So I spent majority of my life in the United States, but I know English. Uh, I know actually Polish very well. Uh, I do not know Polish from the technical terms, okay, in the technical terms. So uh, just very difficult for me to talk about the technology in the Polish language. Oh yeah, um, uh, I can. That's the only. That's the only reason why we speaking in English right now. <laughs> I can tell you that that's the same case for people who for who Polish is a native tongue. We also struggle to use uh, Polish with technology uh, because everything in technology is in English. So anyway, um, and uh, as far as uh, I know, uh, you. Uh, uh, you're, you continue your education in the states, and uh, you have some. <clears throat> uh, important, significant uh, background in academia as well. Yes, that's right. So when I was Poland, I was uh, studying mathematics and physics. I was the fourth uh, in a county in high school of you know, physics. Mm. I really liked that, mathematics and physics. Um, yet the first uh, exams uh, for the universities was the, in the University of, uh, in Warsaw in the physical education. Mm. Uh, so my son passed, uh, I just said, nah, I'm not going to take the other exams. <laughs> I'm going to be in University of Physical Education. <laughs> um, you know, but then when I emigrated to United States, I noticed that uh, there's no way I can continue that education in the United States. Uh, let me go back to mathematics. I start mathematics in my class at the university. I quickly realized that computer science is the future. I completed my computer science education in my class at the university. Uh, then I moved to Minnesota. I started uh, software engineering, master degree. Um, I moved back to New Jersey. Um, I attended uh, business school in Rutgers. Um, you know, and then I started uh, my master degree in uh, predictive analytics in Northwestern University in Illinois. Um, and uh, I just graduated just recently, just four years ago, three years ago, actually, from that. So I never left the school. Uh, and either, even if I briefly left the school, I was uh, always on a board of advisory. So I was on a Rutgers board of advisory, New Jersey Institute of Technology uh, advisory board. And also uh, I stay in MSU, which is the McClure State University. I'm an advisory for the computer science uh, information technology. Oh, and a matter of fact, I'm actually adjunct professor over there as well. <laughs> so. You just almost <laughs> forgot to mention that. I almost forgot to mention that, yes. <laughs> right. Um, sounds like a perfect background for a CTO role. For sure, yes, yes. Because that, 
it's a mixture of technology, the experience, actually uh, practical experience, and um, and the- theoretical actually knowledge, uh, which I believe the CTO always have to embrace both uh, to be successful at the work. Yeah, and now fast forward to twenty twenty something, and you meet Damien, uh, and you. Um, found Catalax, or how did, how did it yeah how did so, it go? Um, it was like his idea, your idea. You, you both had this idea. With this, it was Damien's idea. Okay, <laughs> I have to say it. In, in 2020, um, I was working in SMP ratings, and um, I decided to leave SMP ratings in 2020. And I started with a colleague of mine, the another company, which was the Edges Data. It was about encryption, about uh, access management. Uh, we started this company. We could not find the funding. Um, so in 2021 or 2022, I believe, uh, I contact. Uh, I was actually put together together with Damien uh, in some interviews. So Damien interviewed me for position in uh, Capgemini uh, for blockchain. Um, and then he mentioned something, why you want to stay in a blockchain? <laughs> why don't you go for like supply chain management? <laughs> and I said, well, it's a possibility. I mean, I know a lot of technologies that uh, are used in the supply chain management. Um, and and we basically just, uh, um, uh, that that was the time that we met together. Um, in 2022, in the beginning of 2022, um, uh, somehow we reconnected. I forgot actually how. Oh, yes, I remember. Uh, <laughs> I actually asked Damien to be interviewed uh, for blockchain technologies because I was teaching a class in Montclair State University. And uh, I had an idea to interview uh, professionals who are knowledgeable about the blockchain and uh, implement the blockchains in their organizations. So I asked Damien to be interviewed. And while I asked him to be interviewed, he asked me if I'm open for work opportunities. And he introduced me to uh, Catholics. Um, we had uh, probably about five, 10 meetings um, each, each meeting actually, and that was a daily meeting, so like about an hour. And I said, yes, I can do that for you. Uh, you know, and uh, that's how actually Catholic started from the technology point of view. From the business point of view, I think Damien uh, did such a great job to, um, he invests a lot of his uh, personal time uh, to study the topics, to study um, our competitors, um, you know, from early on, uh, study essentially uh, the state of the supply chain management. Uh, and, and, and that was basically just a, a revealing uh, state of the supply chain management because of the COVID, um, you know, supply chain management tied up essentially uh, on the supply and the production and supply of anything uh, to the consumer. Um, so uh, I was very interested about the problem itself. Uh, I have done some analytics on the supply chain management back in 2019, 2018 even, when I was on S&P ratings and S&P market intelligence. Uh, so I was very much interested. Um, we kind of stick together. Uh, we knew technology, ground base uh, very well. Uh, and a blockchain, which is the a big component of our offering in the Catholics. Um, and, uh, and that's how I got attracted to it. I, I love that job. Um, and I love to work with them. And I mean, he's really like a business mind behind that. So, all right. Um, so now I guess it's good time to actually tell what Catholics does. What is the problem that you, that you're trying to solve? Yeah. So, so the Catholics is trying to solve the problem of visibility and collaboration, um, at supply chain management. So the problem is a very old problem. Uh, and even though we have probably for a decade different type of technologies, uh, nobody was able to put together uh, all these technologies. It's, it's like a melting pot, okay? Uh, it's like uh, being in New Jersey and speaking in English. <laughs> when you have so many nationalities and you learn and hearing the different languages. The same thing with the supply chain management. Um, when you have so many technologies put it together. So you have 
artificial intelligence such as the um, you know automation, the, like a robotics. Um, you have machine learning because uh, you do a lot of machine learning. You have to learn from the data. Um, you have access control uh, because um, not everyone. Uh, can access uh, the trade information about the supply chain management, uh, you know, workflow. Uh, so you have to uh, protect this information and enable that information to be visible to some, but not all. Uh, then you have a trusted information. So you have to somehow ensure that information which flow into the system belong, uh, has been non-repudiated, meaning that has been signed uh, by the entity that uh, is truly identifies an entity. Um, and then you have the IoT devices, uh, which essentially just uh, producing a lot of information about temperature, geolocation, uh, shocking, uh, and et cetera. Uh, so, um, you know, you have like multiple uh, different technologies melted together into the one uh, gigantic uh, platform uh, that has to make the sense for each of the party. And there's a multiple parties. There are shippers, uh, freight forwarders, uh, consumers, consignees, uh, customers, um, orchestrators. I mean, you, you can name it, you know, and some, sometimes the, 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 the experts in a supply chain management, they, they call it the same thing, uh, like a shipper, an orchestrator. Um, yeah, no. Um, so, so you yeah. mentioned like endless number of parties and like challenges, I guess. So what uh, what part of this, which puzzle in this uh, is what you're trying to solve in Catalyx? What what do you focus on? In so so we focus on everything, right? Because the good supply chain management, okay, has to focus on everything. It's it's like a Swiss clock, okay. If you have the one of this trip. Okay, the sprockets that does not work well, it affects the other sprockets in this whole machine. So you have to focus on everything. And, and unfortunately, uh, the technology is very complex. So you cannot have the one person who is knowledgeable about everything. So that's why it's so complex to put this platform together and have that knowledge combine and give you the insight, okay, um, uh, for the information that each party is going to look for it. So um, we call our platform visibility and collaboration. Okay, so, so you, you may actually think about, you know, um, where is my shipment and every minute, okay? And if I can collaborate with all the parties that are responsible for the shipment uh, at the given time. So that's the basically a major two things like collaboration and visibility. But these two words um, encompasses so many different technologies that makes the, the whole platform very complex. Right. And in this visibility uh, or maybe collaboration department, how do, you, like, how do you solve the problem of so many parties being involved? Because as far as, uh, as, far as my understanding of supply chain issues uh, go, it's... It, the, the major problem is that there are many, many counterparties. Not every one of these parties is reliable. Possibly they may not be reliable or, the, or even not in terms of reliability, but in terms of like some bugs in the system or complexity. It's very hard to, I guess, uh, ensure that everything goes according to plan and everyone like does exactly what's uh, what, what he agrees to do that that is correct right so and it's not only about the individual workflows of shipment workflows right but the scalability of this workflows right so imagine 200,000 shipments every month right that's the massive amount okay so you cannot really focus on a one or two that's why the automation robotics automation is very important uh, because you have to ensure that every work uh, work process is executed, okay. But you only focus on those that having a problems, which is essentially just a, a, let's say a 0.5 percent, right? So if you have a 200,000, okay, we're talking about the 1,000 shipments out of 200,000 every month uh, that have some problems, and you only have to focus on what this 1,000. So in a collaboration, we use ABEC, which is the uh, attribute-based access control, um, 
this is essentially a NIST standard or NIST specification uh, it has been around for for ages. I mean, we're talking about 2012, uh, I believe, that has been issue NIST specification about the attribute access control. Um, and I was, uh, you, you know, uh, a fortune. Uh, I was working with uh, one of my colleagues in SP ratings where um, I got to know access, uh, attribute based access control. Um, you know, so I studied that uh, technology for seven, eight years. We implement that technology in the catalogs, and that helps us essentially to have a really nice collaboration between the parties, which is uh, very secure as well. Uh, I also was uh, involved in a, a blockchain in a SMP ratings where I was ahead of blockchain and SMP ratings. So that enabled me to um, get to know the, the technology that enables actually the uh, signature of the messages. Okay, so so when when you digitally sign the signature, we can verify that this is come from the particular party or or is not. Um, you know, so that's part of the collaboration and security of the mm. systems. Um, so the supply chain is very ubiquitous in a sense that like it's everywhere and it's been used by in very different business scenarios like buying shoes or maybe buying something more critical to people's lives. So is there any specific area or vertical that you are focusing on and trying to trying to help? Yes. So so the Catholics, um it doesn't really care whether you ship the toilet paper <laughs> or selling gene therapies, right? Which is the life saving cell and gene therapies for the patients, uh, for the cancer treatment. Um, Nevertheless, um, when you when you basically sell across the oceans and sell and uh, ship the toilet paper, you don't really care about the humidity. You don't care about the light exposure or the temperature exposure, right? Uh, this is a much less of a concern. While in a cell and gene therapies, right, or uh, some of the drugs that are like sensitive to the temperature, um, you really care about the conditions of the. Uh, movement of the shipment because they have to be, let's say, in a minus 80 degrees Celsius, or they have to be an ambient between the two and eight. Um, so there are differences, right, between uh, shipping a toilet paper and shipping cellangine or uh, vaccines. Um, we focus on the high end, uh, I would call the high end because it requires the high, the high end touch, um, you know, special handling. Um, also, the uh, information about the drug um, uh, certifications, uh, about uh, uh, about where is that about the information, where is that uh, ingredients to uh, you know to, to collect uh, collected for the drug manufacturer, where are they coming from? Uh, those information are very important. In a toilet paper, you don't really care whether that came from. Uh, you know, recycle paper, recycle wood, or you know, some some kind of um, uh, jungle in a, in Amazon, um, right? I mean, those are basically as uh, secondary issues. Uh, but in a manufacturing of uh, drugs, uh, when uh, patient safety is at most important factor, you need to know actually where's those uh, drugs are coming from what temperature they're exposed to, because every drug has a life cycle, life, life shelf. And uh, the more exposure has, let's say, to the uh, light uh, sometimes, or to the temperature, uh, the life shell actually decreases. Okay, so you have to um, focus on those things to trace and track, okay, to make the assumptions based on those uh, information. What's the life shelf for this particular drug left? Uh, whether it's uh, five months left or two months left. Um, very famous uh, examples was um, in the United States during the corona, uh, when the Pfizer distributed uh, coronavirus, um, you know, um, uh, the, the the drugs, they had to vaccines. actually- The vaccines, yes, mm -hmm. I'm sorry. Um, they had to administer within a two days. There was a reason why they have to be distributed within a two days, just because they were exposed apparently to a higher temperature and the life shelf decreases from 60 days to, uh, you know, let's say three or four days. 
um, if they would go beyond the through three four days efficacy of that drug would be uh, let's say from 80 percent 90 percent to maybe a 50 60 percent uh, so that was a reason uh, you know why they have to increase uh, distribution uh, you know to shorten the time of it so that's how important it is so it, it sounds to me that the main your main clientele is pharmaceutical companies for for the time being yes okay. that's the pharmaceutical companies okay so you you chose the most challenging uh supply chain uh, it is yeah it's a it's a high entry barrier um but it's also a very noble uh goal and objective right i mean you know saving the life uh of the patient it's much more noble than deliver the high value wine uh to to someone in you know in a long island <laughs> household i'm not so saying that they, this is the bad thing <laughs> i like the wine no, as well but, um yeah. so how um but, but these companies are around for quite a while so they need to manage the, the supply chain uh challenges now and um so what, what are the main how do they do it without catalogs or what what precisely enables them to do it better with your platform well they, they do manage today uh, i'm not saying that they don't right but uh, it's much more difficult for them to manage and as they scale their productions okay um you know they are basically um unable to put more people to care about those shipments i mean there is a physical capabilities i mean you, you know uh is it is it called actually the Mur not the murphy's law but the peterson laws i guess right um there's a, essentially a, a number of people that you can put uh to manage the supply chain management right but when you reach the capacity that you cannot basically put more people to deliver more what do you do okay and and, and i believe that uh, we believe uh, at the catholics that many companies reached actually that point it's the boiling point that beyond that okay they cannot really manage efficiently all their shipments so they need some kind of uh, platforms i'm not saying the catholics is a very unique um uh well it is very unique but it's not the only one at the market there's uh, many platforms that uh, are trying to solve the very similar uh, you know issues um so that issue exists and i believe that scalability and a precision of attacking these problems are the differentiation factor for the platforms to be successful today right so um you just uh what you said just made me think about this classic question about uvp so like unique value proposition you said that catalex is unique so what is this unique magic source that you provide well we we, we combine lots of different technologies so so that's very unique okay um and uh, this is just because myself and damon are coming from the very highly technical backgrounds uh we are capable actually embrace all these backgrounds uh technologies and include those in the catalogs and manage the highly you know uh scalable highly scalable i should say the teams uh so we partner with the uh with the company today um uh that is uh, able f uh, to produce the software for us based on our specifications um so that's certainly it's one of the factors uh understanding and the other factor as i mentioned to you uh Catholics was not born over the one year okay we developed the platform pretty much over the one year but the Catholics born two years before we start even technology uh journey um it came with the planning it came with uh understanding of the customer base uh what is it needed uh where where is uh where are the gaps and fortunately and unfortunately right I mean there was a COVID era okay um that those gaps were exposed um rapidly and dramatically so you could see it right and and that was the time when damon uh focused on catholics um so he was basically a preview uh firsthand just to see uh where the gaps are how those gaps could be addressed um when you are advanced uh 
in platform development is very difficult to, it's, it's like a moving train. It's very difficult to make changes or, or rapid changes. It's, it's like a, uh, moving the train from one, you know, uh, from one track to another track. Um, not only because it is heavy, right? But if, if those trains actually are moving, that's even more difficult, like moving between the tracks, right? Uh, for that reason, any platform that has been developed before, um, they have probably a disadvantage position, right? Because they notice what the gaps are, okay? And now they are trying to address those gaps in a platforms that are well established. Okay, so it's much more difficult to make those changes, especially when your platform is not developed in a modular way, okay, that you can add those modules, okay? You have to basically just uh, rip apart, essentially, the core of it, okay, and uh, create the new ones, okay? Um, how we approach that was a little bit different, okay? Uh, first of all, we studied the business, we studied the customer uh, needs, uh, each of the party needs, and then we look at what the standards are. Um, and uh, likely we've won the GS1 and we are voting member of the GS1 as well, a well-known standard. Um, our platform is based on a GS1. That helped us out, okay, to build the platform uh, because GS1 is now ready for several years um, that attacking those problems, the supply chain management. Um, and there is a number of smart people working on the GS1 standards. Okay, and so if you embrace those, you essentially have a kickstart from the smart people. <laughs> okay, so we, we, we're not like a very origin probably in that side, okay, but we take the advantage of some work that has been done and we enhance that work with our work. Right, and now there is 2023, so the technology landscape is very, very complex. There are lots of technologies that were developed over like re recent last decade and it changed significantly, like the introduction of cloud or development of or distributed leisure technology. So from your point of view, or from the point of view of, uh, of Catalyst's platform, what are the technologies that enable what you do? I think when you start a company, um, I don't see really startup successful without the cloud. Okay, because that's basically a build the foundation for the startup to start up something very quickly, to build very quickly a very solid foundation architecturally, uh, securely, and uh, with the help of uh, you know every organization to have a cloud. I mean, th there is a number of um, uh, programs, right? That let's say the Amazon AWS um, enables startup to be successful. I'm pretty sure uh, Google is the same way. I'm pretty sure the Azure is the same way. Oracle and any other platforms. So that gives you capability actually to start your business very quickly. Uh, there's a, a lots of technologies that uh, enables you to stitch together the functionality instead of building the whole plumbing by yourself. So I think the cloud is a necessity for any startup to be dis to be successful. Uh, that's one thing. Then also, when you are in a cloud, all these technologies, uh, obviously they went through this life cycle. So they went through this, you know, ups and downs and, uh, and there's a lot of um, developers that gives you the idea, you know, do this or do don't that, right? I mean, you know, don't do this, right? So so I think that when you go on a cloud, you have a good base of um, issues that has been resolved for you. Uh, so if you listen uh, and you follow the guides uh, that you can find out uh, on the internet, on, directly on, on AWS, Google, Azure, or whoever, uh, whichever cloud you decide to, to build uh, your organization on, um, you're going to find out that you have, you know, 50, 60, maybe even sometimes 70% built out already for you. So whatever it's left, it's like a pure engineering, pure architecture. 
Um, if you remember in the old good ages when we talked about the object-oriented programming. Right? Oh, we still do. We, <laughs> <Don't worry>. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but it's more on a component base now, right, than just a purely object. Um, but, you know, it's almost like a Lego, right? Um, you still have to co correctly assemble these Lego pieces, right? But at least you have those pieces ready for you. Yeah, um, so cloud is like very, today I think it's a very classic example of technology that enables a lot, uh, especially in the startup world where the cost, like the, the cost of to start a company or build infrastructure is, is very important. Um, uh, you mentioned blockchain a few times now. So, um, and blockchain is a type of technology that um, there's a lot of love and a lot of hate around it. I guess that even today, people are still struggling to understand what is the what's the real value behind it. So do you use it and how, uh, where blockchain is in, in, what's the position of blockchain in your solution? Yeah, so a little disclosure here, right? I mean, um, I am adjunct professor in my class at the university for blockchain <laughs> and it's Okay, so you are... You, you, <laughs> so I might be a little bit biased. You, you, you may be biased towards actually promoting... Well, no, actually I'm okay. not. I'm, I, actually, I'm not. <laughs> I'm very practical about the blockchain, okay? Because I know inside out of the blockchain. Matter of fact, I used to work on a blockchain where it was not called a blockchain because all these technologies, okay, has been developed a long, long time ago, okay? I mean, uh, encryption, and uh, crypto uh, methodologies, okay, has been known for the years, okay? I mean, this is not something that uh, has been developed in 2010, uh, 2008, when uh, Satoshi came up, okay? Those things has been for a long, long time. In 1996, I was working in IBM on a compression algorithm, okay, which is the first and fundamental block for the encryption. Okay, I was working on a 509, which is the X509, which is the uh, certificates, the client service certificates. So that's basically a signatures, okay, and verification of the signatures, okay, for the entities. So uh, all these technologies has been existing for a long, long time. So I would not actually discount the blockchain because the blockchain is essentially just a novel from the cryptocurrency and from the economic point of view of creating something that uh, is almost like a cloud, okay? It's like you're creating uh, application on the blockchain is almost like using a cloud to create basically your startup company, okay? It has the, all the building blocks that you can use to do the transactions on a blockchain. Now, where blockchain would be useful uh, in supply chain management? I think it's going to be very useful uh, for this realization for tracking civilization of the uh, of the drugs okay uh now we we today struggle with that and uh you know everyone is doing the its own way i mean every country actually is doing the uh, its own way and america united states has its own way there's a basically ndc number and you track that way um if we have a global uh identification uh, method uh for suppliers and for the drug manufacturings um, that would be ideal. Now, where we are with the blockchain with this, um, I think we're just about seven, eight years away from that, okay? Because the, um, each transaction would have to be essentially uh, recorded on the blockchain. Uh, and those transactions cost uh, should be a minimal. Right now, I think the cost is about like a 25 cents for the transaction. Um, you know, and uh, that is prohibitive essentially for the vaccine because I cannot imagine a single vial uh, where the cost of manufacturing is maybe at 25 cents or 50 cents, right? That the cost of vial is, I think it's between like a $2, $3, $4. That the big portion of that would be you know, dedicated to the blockchain to issue the serial number for that. Uh, so I think that we are like uh, seven years away. I think I think, uh, I, think I, uh, I was watching the podcast in Ernst and Young, I believe, uh, and they were talking about this uh, Nighthawk, uh, Nightfall. I'm sorry, the the blockchain where NFT would be used uh, for the civilization. 
uh, and they were talking about you know a penny of for transaction to be enabled in a five seven years. So I believe that this is a true statement that we could see it actually blockchain resurrected in that area in the five to seven years. Besides that, I mean, I know that a few companies tried the blockchain for the supply chain management. I'm not sure how they successful been. Uh, first of all, blockchain is still uh, a new technology, even though we've been working on a blockchain since 2016, at least that's where we started to work on an S&P ratings in 2016, 2017. Um, I even have the patent uh, based uh, on the blockchain for the protection of private information. Um, and uh, I still believe that it's still complex and we still don't have too many developers um, to be very efficient with that. Okay, So the, uh, for uh, many developers, that technology is still uh, kind of our reach uh, or would require you know, a few months actually of training, which they do, did not decide actually to take the training upon themselves. Um, other than that, I think that blockchain could be very useful for um, some, you know, some uh, use cases, business use cases, when non-repudiation or erasability uh, permanency, in other words, and uh, is important. This is something that's very much deal with, right? Uh, not just non-repudiation. Uh, yeah. So, so, so we 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 do actually use not the blockchain, the blockchain technologies. Okay. Uh, so we use non-repudiation. We, we use essentially the, you know technology uh, in AWS that uh, enables us actually to um, maintain. Um, non-repudiation and maintain um, uh, permanency. And, and this is important for the insurance, for example, because if something got wrong and uh, you filed a claim, you want to ensure uh, that the claim uh, would be properly adjusted. Uh, so I believe that the insure tech would be very much interested uh, in technologies such as the Catholics provides and the other uh, platforms such as the cat like like a Catholics, okay, to uh, quickly adjust the claims uh, because things are happen. I mean, you know, I mentioned to you uh, 0.5 percent, um, okay, but if you have a large number of shipments, that's the large number, um, and uh, usually those adjustments takes anywhere from one month to six months, okay, uh, with platform like ours. When you have properly defined records and you can audit those records and you can be sure that those records were not altered in any kind of way, um, you can basically just uh, clear those things in the one day or two days and make the adjustment uh, in a following hour. Um, so I think that uh, one month, six months of investigation, a lot of many hours spent on finding out the truth. When you go to the Catholics and have within a minute, uh, making a decision, you know, what's the claim and how that should be adjusted is is the huge achievement for the insure tech and for the customer at the end, right? Because they find the claim. Right. Um, m moving on to the role that you have at Catalyx, um, you, you, as far as my understanding goes, you are a CTO, but you're also chief of product. So how does it, uh, how does it work out for you? Uh, and it's actually an interesting story about this, right? Because uh, when when we discussed with Damon, first my position, my role, uh, he said, well, um, you know, would you like to be a chief technology officer? I mean, I have already in my title, the chief uh, information officer, <laughs> uh, head of this, head of that. <laughs> so I thought, yeah, um, I think it's, it, it's right. Okay, but who's going to be actually build the product? Um, and uh, Damon said, you. <laughs> so <laughs> go build a product and uh, define the technology. Um, so uh, my answer to that is that a highly digitized product, okay, um, you need to know a lot about the technology and you need to know a lot about what you're building. So you need to be chief in everything. You need to be a chief in a product and a chief in a technology. And in a larger organizations, the chief technology officer could be 
oversees the whole company technology let's say directions and etc but in a larger industry in a, a larger company also when you have the products you can have the chief technology for the product okay i have seen that in smp and there is a chief technology of the platform uh, that worked very well because that chief technology of the platform was focused on the platform itself not in the technology of the company itself okay but the platform uh, and I believe that uh, we filed the same suit, uh, which is essentially um, knowledge about the product, which I need to have in order to write the specification and knowing how the technology will apply to fulfill the specification. Plus technology, when I have to be intimate with this technology, have to know how that works, not necessarily be hands-on, although I'm trying as much as I can, um, you know, to be hands-on, but uh, that is probably a history. Although on a on a on a um, on uh, analytics, I'm pretty hands-on at so, so <laughs> that's my passion. So, <laughs> so um, everyone does this, really. I think that every manager in, uh, that that has uh, its roots in technology tries to you know get its hands dirty when he or she can find opportunity to. I do code sometimes. <laughs> Did uh, you hear that? <laughs> so anyways, um, another angle is your background in academia. So many people that I talk to uh, who have some roots uh, in academia, they, um, you know, they have specific views on on working in business or with business. So I'm, I'm wondering what, what your view is. How do you make these two words uh, meet and cooperate? Yeah, um, so that's an interesting story too. My father was a teacher. <laughs> All right. so, so I came from that family. <laughs> Maybe that's runs in a family. Um, I always was close to academia, okay? Um, I remember even when I was an IBM, and uh, I start studying basically software engineering at the University of Minneapolis. Uh, I noticed that not too many students were from IBM just because um, what we did at IBM was like a far advance that has been taught uh, in Minneapolis. In a, uh, I mean, essentially in everyone, uh, you know, curriculum uh, of the computer science, for example. But I always, you know, what, what, I always were close to academia because I want to know what being taught, okay? Whether there are different methods to of teaching uh, certain things, certain topics, and um, you know, it's like a Latin is a closed language, so so you cannot teach anything new. I think in the technology, specifically in a computer science, even though the mathematics, applied mathematics, right? There are new methods, there are developed methods, and I think that. There is a connection of what is happening in a real time in a business and in academia. And that collaboration has to be a little bit tighter. Um, I think that uh, academia could benefit a lot from get to know uh, what is being done in a business, okay, and vice versa, because I think that uh, lots of research um, is pretty advanced, okay, but it's not probably being used or utilized uh, by the business. So I think um, uh, I felt like very strongly that there needs to be a bridge, needs to be the bridge of the gap. And I thought I'm ideally situated in that because I still love to be in a school, um, you know, in a capacity as a professor or in a capacity as advisor. Um, I love to basically just bridge this gap. The other thing, why I'm close to academia is because um, as a chief product officer, I believe that we are designing the product for the future, not for today or tomorrow, but for the future. Uh, me and you, uh, when we're going to retire <laughs> someday, um, you know, we don't want actually that platform to be revamped. Okay, what we want to do is a continuation of that. Okay, and I know that uh, teaching the classes, for example, uh, give me the exposure of uh, young students, uh, what their uh, capacity is, what their capabilities are, um, 
what the desire is, okay? What's that platform is missing? Because if they go on to enter the workforce, let's say in a three to five to seven years, uh, what that platform is missing today, what we need to put on the platform so they will continue the journey that we started a year ago. Uh, so I think that link resonate from, uh, uh, resonate with my goals, objectives, to stay close to academia, um, and also, I'd love to share my knowledge. I came to the point that um, I can be secretive, <laughs> not saying anything, uh, or I can be quite open when I can, of course, uh, and share my knowledge and have students to benefit from this. Right. Uh, I choose the latter. Um, so it it's truly impressive uh, your the, the, the scope of your activities and like the different areas that you the, that you cover in in your professional career um so uh um i would really like to hear from you what like, people very often talk about you know exciting new technology that you know changes the world and uh, makes you know the Pro, makes us progress faster. What is there any technology or like the, the path that the IT world took that you think was a mistake or is a mistake today? As a technology, probably not. I mean, I really like everything that happens. Okay, I was very impressed about predictive analytics uh, early uh, in the past uh, decade. Uh, robotics was fantastic. Um, Machine learning, right, uh, was another one, okay, uh, which is a part of predictive analytics anyway. Um, cybersecurity was another one that was uh, accelerated dramatically over the past 10 years. Um, you know, so, so I have seen pretty much convergence of all of those. Um, so I, I don't have any regrets. I think this is all good things. I believe that some of those became a hype um, with a very high expectations uh, without understanding the basis, okay? And I think this is uh, what, what we as a human race are doing, uh, essentially, with understanding or creating a hype. Uh, probably that I would love to actually make a correction to it. Uh, and this is specifically about the GPT, um, you know, chat. I think it's a huge advancement, okay? But you have to still understand how that um, actually is working, you know, what the capabilities of or of those are. Because, you know, right now what it is, is essentially going to the past experiences, whatever it's being recorded. And based on that, um, the ChatGPT actually makes the decision or suggestion uh, based on a statistical analysis. Um, you know, which, which one is more likely uh, to happen, right? Or which one is more likely to be corrected, uh, correct. Uh, I'm worried about uh, the future of that because uh, where we are as a humanity is from the learning process, okay? And I don't think that uh, the machines are capable of doing this today. Uh, they can do the reinforcement learning, but the re even a reinforcement learning is essentially on the past experiences. Um, so I'm not really sure how that's going to be uh, addressed. Okay, I'm hoping that we're not going to rely in a uh, in a completely on a you know on artificial intelligence, but we're going to use artificial intelligence as the additional tool in our toolbox. Okay, to do the advancements in um, in the technology and, and the humanity. Well, definitely, ChatGPT is very high in terms of expectations on the hype cycle, if you like. So, yeah. Um, okay. Um, as go going closing, getting close to the end of the of the episode, uh, one thing I wanted to ask you uh, is, what is your today's view on Poland. It happened that you, uh, while building Cadillacs, you, you, you cooperate with, uh, you got closer to Polish IT industry, which uh, I imagine you may not have been in close relationship with for past few years. So when you look at IT in Poland today, like what's the, what's the perception? How does it look like from the outside? 
Yeah, so, so when I left uh, Poland, right, and I left in 1988, 88, 86, 88, right, um, I had no idea about uh, computing. <laughs> or slight idea. I mean, I was on a Spectrum Plus. Oh, yeah. I was like a first computer, <laughs> but with the basic, uh, you know, language. As we, as, as we all used as to. As we all used to, yes. <laughs> and then it was Atari, of course, and et cetera, right? But, uh, you know, I was not really into this. Um, so I do not know actually the state of that um, when I was leaving, but throughout the years, uh, I noticed that background of uh, Polish students in mathematics and physics um, give them advantage okay to be um, uh, to be a good engineers I think they all have very good um, foundation okay to be a good engineer I think it's still mathematics and physics um, advance you much farther than coming from the business and become uh, the engineer become the developer i have a high regards um you know for the polish engineering um i've been working with them for many many years i observe um eastern european you know community on a development i'm really uh, impressed uh, how they work the the work ethics uh their smartness their capabilities actually to attack the problem uh, and be honest. I mean, this is like a transparency is like it's so important, um, you know, especially especially in a softwares, right? When, when you manage the, you know, when you help basically the patient lives are depending on the software, okay? Um, the transparency is so important, okay? And I like the seriousness um, of the Polish engineers when they attack this and, you know, they're joking on the side, but they they very serious about their work and the jobs. So I, I think there's a very good engineering group uh, growing up in Poland and uh, Eastern European um, community uh, in general as well. Thomas, thank you very much. Uh, it was a real pleasure talking to you. Thank you, thank you so much. And uh, I, I, was, I was thinking that you're going to ask me uh, the last uh, question in Polish. <laughs> so. I um, I will keep it consistent across the <laughs> across the across the whole episode. Um, this was uh, this was uh, Piątek, another episode, unusually held in English. My name is Martin Kowalski. I'm the CTO of GFT Poland, and my guest today was Tamar Zakrzewski, CTO of Catalex. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Martin.